If you have your scripture journals, I want you to open them uh, up. We'll be starting just a moment in chapter 4 on page 18 of the scripture journals. But we are coming to this and next week are the last two lessons that we have in this rooted study on Colossians. And I just want to speak personally for a moment that I have been so blessed personally by this. Colossians is a book that I had been in before, I'd read before, but I had never done what I would call the deep dive into Colossians. And so this week, I'm excited about what we're going to bring, and we'll launch that in just a second. Next week is a wrap-up lesson, and I'm going to go back through, and we've worked our way through in Scripture order, meaning we've, we've just read it as it's come to us, and we're going to complete the book today, and next week I'm going to go back. There's a theme that runs all through the book about being thankful and giving thanks, and I'll show you how that appears all through the book next week, and I think it's an appropriate ending for the series and appropriate time for this season uh, as we come into this Thanksgiving season. Following that, following next week, on, next week the 13th, on the 20th, we are shutting down this campus and gathering once again at Lions Park in the amphitheater there at Worship Without Walls. This is something that we started last year, and we're doing it again with the, our brothers and sisters at the Avenue G Church of Christ. We will be over, over in the amphitheater. We will share in a worship time together. We'll share in a communion time together. And Chris and I both will bring a message and a word, word of encouragement. And we believe that this is a radical thing to do. This is a way that the church can show that the gospel overcomes all walls. Even when everything else on social media tells us that it's all going the wrong direction, this is our claim that no, 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 no. The good news is real and alive and true. And so we're going to do that. We, had a, we were blessed with an incredibly beautiful day last year. It was just perfect. So whoever prayed for it last year, if you would pray for that again. Um, but we're going to gather there. But just remember, on the 20th, two weeks from now, if you show up here on this campus, you'll be worshiping alone. Okay, Go join us over, over there where there's not any spiritual walls and there's no physical walls either. As we dive in today, I want you to think about a particular group Maybe a team that you're a part of. Maybe a choir or a band. Maybe your group of friends in high school. Maybe your group of friends in, in college. On my office, I have a picture of a group of friends that were my friends from high school. And I could go through and tell you a personal story about each person in that picture. And what they meant to me. And how they changed my life and how they were an influence on my life. I thought about showing you the picture. Then I said, no, I want you to think about your group. So who is that if you had to picture from maybe it's an old little league baseball team. And you've got this old picture still. Or maybe it's something from when you were on a trip. Or you're part of the band or whatever it was. That sets us up today because Paul's about to give us a picture. Now, Paul didn't live in a time where he could pull out his phone and snap a picture and tweet it over to us. Or he wasn't part of Be Real. 
what he had to do is he had to use the letter that he was writing, and he describes these people to us. But he paints a picture. And so I'm going to read a portion of this letter to us that we've been reading, and this gets really personal. This gets really intimate in so many ways. And so what could easily sound like a list of names is actually Paul sharing his team with us. His rooted people with us. Because that's what we've been looking at throughout, throughout this entire letter. Paul's goal to this church of Christians that have gathered is, I want you to be rooted in something solid. I want you to be rooted in the truth. And they're experiencing all kinds of competing philosophies. All kinds of competing cultural ideas. And Paul says, you're going to hear all these arguments. You're going to hear all these things that's going to pull you to and fro. But I want you to be rooted deep on what is solid, and that is Jesus. And so each week we've been looking at what Paul says, root into the mission of Jesus. Root yourself in the grace of Jesus. Root yourself in the supremacy of Jesus. And we've been exploring each of those. And today Paul's going to change it just a little bit. He says, I want you rooted in the people of Jesus. And he gives his own examples. And so as you read this, again, I encourage you to read this with a pen or a pencil or ready to highlight on your app. Because I'm going to read chapters 4, verses 7 through the end, which is verse 18. And if you want to follow along, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Every time we come across a name, circle it or underline it. And then we'll work our way back through with these messages. Here's Paul's words. As he closes out this letter, and remember, these are very personal to him. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, Who is one of you? They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And say that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This final line. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. What Paul is doing is he's getting very personal... 
And he begins to describe these people that are around him. Now, the names may be foreign to you right now. But Paul is sharing, here's who's around me. Here's the people on my team. Here's the ones that I depend on. And he is describing and living out his theology, his belief about what it means to be church. All throughout Paul's writings, Paul believes that church, being a part of church, being in the body, that's his main word for it, the body of Christ, that's how he describes it time and time again, being tied into that is critical. It matters. And so as Paul writes these words, he's very practical and very personal because he's just sharing how he lives this out. Unfortunately, we live in a world now, today that wants to make church or being a part of church optional. Like we treat it a lot more like it's like we're consumers of it. And so I'll be at one place as long as I like the worship, as long as I like the preacher, as long as I like, I like, I like. The coffee's hot, the air conditioner's cool. As long as we get those in place, I'll be there. Until I get upset, then I'll go be someplace else. Now, I'm not saying there's never, ever a reason that God could call you from one church to another. But it doesn't happen near as often as it does when we're all stirring around. And Paul is about to say, I want you tied in. I, I want you connected in. I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of aspen trees, but not just any aspen trees. This is known as the Pando Colony. This is in Utah. And part of the reason I'm showing this is because this is what happens when leaves change colors and they don't go straight to brown. <laughs> this is what happens when you actually get a fall. What's unique about this particular type of aspen tree and more particularly this particular what they call a colony, not a grove, but they call this a colony of aspen trees is because what you see there, each tree they've determined is part of the same tree. This colony covers 108 acres. It's beautiful. They estimate that altogether it weighs 6 thousand tons which makes it the single largest living organism what happens with this particular type of aspen trees is when the root begins it goes laterally and it produces trees all along the root do you see where i'm going with this all these trees though they look individual on the surface they are rooted together as one. Now, if Paul had known about the aspen trees, he would have used that as an example. Because this is exactly what Paul is saying. So, here is the big idea. This is the point of the message. If you check out right now, make sure you go away with this. Rooted people need rooted people. Just like the aspen trees, each aspen tree needs the next tree to it because they all share the common root. 
those of us that follow Jesus, you need to be rooted with other people who are also rooted. That's where the strength comes from. That's what Paul is saying when he describes this list of people. I'm about to give you five reasons why. These reasons all come from Paul, but don't miss it, that rooted people need rooted people. You may want to push back on that, but here's the point. Your faith, while it's intensely personal, was never designed to be a private matter. It was never designed to be only you. There, it was never intent for anybody to go solo Christian in following Jesus. God's dream and intent all along was for followers of Jesus to come together, be rooted in Christ and rooted in each other, supporting each other. And he's going to go through what I'm going to pull out. You could probably pull out a dozen more reasons. I'm going to pull out five today on why rooted people need rooted people. And if you're going to be a rooted person, this is why it's critical for you to be involved in the church to be rooted in the church because you need this in your life. This is like making a recipe and taking out the main ingredient. You can't do it. So here we go. I'm going to go back through some of these names. We're just going to work through some of these names, and I'm going to show you what they're saying. First thing is, rooted people will encourage you. Rooted people will, when you put yourself around people that are rooted in Jesus, you will receive encouragement. Let me ask a question, show of hands. Has anybody had way too much encouragement this week? Are you experiencing an encouragement overdose? It doesn't happen, does it? All of us are running deficits. Where do you go to find encouragement? Well, Paul says you get rooted with rooted people. That's where you find it. So look in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is the beloved brother. And look how they describe this. Now, if your name's going to show up in the Bible, this is what you want to show up after your name. He is a beloved brother faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. This is Paul. You hear how personal this is? I, I, Paul's saying, I've worked alongside him. He, he has blessed me. This is Paul, because Paul knows that he needs rooted people. He's blessed me in so many ways. He's a faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. Now, Paul's saying, I've sent him to you for this very purpose. I've sent him to you to bless you in the same way that he's blessed me. What's that? that you may know how we are, so he's going to take some information, and that he may encourage your hearts. You need to be around people that encourage you, that share your hope with you, that share your worship with you, that share your value system or the value system that you're trying to form with you. So when you come to be part of the church, if you're, if you're still kind of holding back on the outside and you're not, not yet rooted deep in this, know that the blessing of the church that you come together 
And now you find a whole other source of encouragement that you do not find out in the world. We gather to encourage. Next one is this. Number two, rooted people will stay with you when everyone else quits. Rooted people will stay with you when everybody else quits. Look what Paul says. I'm gonna, th- this one, he actually gives three guys here. Uh, verse 16. I'm sorry, no. Verse 10. Verse 10 is this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, now remember, Jesus was an incredibly common name. It was like saying John or Scott, okay? It was just really, really common. And so one of their followers was named Jesus. And so he chose to go by Justice, another one of his names, so who is called Justice. And look how Paul ends this. These are the only men of the circumcision. Okay, what's he mean by that? He means these are the only Jews. Okay, that's where Paul came from. He came from the Jewish people. These are fellow Jews. These are the only ones among my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. What's happened? Everybody else that came from the Jewish faith has abandoned Paul. Paul, in many ways, is an outlaw at this point. It is not easy, it is not politically comfortable, it is not good to be an acquaintance of Paul if you care about what the Jewish leaders think. If you care about the voice of public opinion, it's hard to be with Paul. And so he lists three guys here that never quit on Paul. And the first one is really incredible. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus, what we know about him in different places is that he's a traveler alongside Paul, and he seems to keep being in some of the most difficult places. There's a story where Paul goes to Ephesus, and because of his words and because of his preaching, some other men in town that are in opposition to that, they stir up a crowd, and there's a crowd at the Colosseum in town, and it's turned into a riot. Aristarchus is one of those guys there. It does not appear that Aristarchus is actually imprisoned, like he's also under arrest, but he is chosen to be with Paul in the hostile conditions of the prison because he's not going to quit on him. Who do you have that's going to see you through the bright sunny days and the darkest of nights? The ones that you know that you can pick up the phone in the middle of the night when wheels go off in your life whether by tragedy or by choice, whether by somebody else's sin or by your own, that you can reach out and say, I need somebody with me. The person that will sit with you, even if they don't have the answers, but they will not distance themselves from you. Rooted people need rooted people because rooted people don't quit. When everybody else does. I bet you every person here. It's not a big long list. 
But I hope you have somebody on that list. A handful that's there for you. And perhaps there's not even a biological connection. But there's a blood connection in Jesus Christ. And that's why they're there. And that's what they're for. That's why you need to be rooted. The next one's this. Rooted people will pray for you. Rooted people will pray for you. I want you to look at verse 12. This one is Epaphras. And again, if you want to be writing things down next to the name, I encourage you to do that. Epaphras, Paul goes on, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Remember, Epaphras is the one that we believe heard preaching of of Paul, goes back to the city of Colossae, shares that message, and this church forms up. And Paul highlights one particular part of his ministry. Paul says he is always struggling for you in prayer. That word struggling is exactly what it means. It means he is wrestling with God. He is going before God again and again and again and again. And he's petitioning on, God, on your behalf. And he's asking the Father to step in and, and intervene. And he's asking for a very particular prayer request. Look at what, is, what he's praying for. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras is a minister praying for his church that they would grow up in God and understand how confident they can be in him. They would be mature in him. This is what he's praying for. This this is one of the only times, in fact, I think it's the only time in the New Testament that Paul commends somebody else's prayer life. Now, that's a pretty good way to make the book, isn't it? When Paul's saying, I admire his prayer life, and his prayer life is directed right at you, as rooted people, you need people praying for you. This is why we share prayer requests. This is why I am so honored anytime one of you comes up to me and says, would you please pray for this? Would you please be taking this one to the Father on my behalf? And it's such an honor, and we're honored to pray for the prayer requests that have to do with sickness and with health and physical issues. But I'm also so honored when one of you comes up and says, here's what is going on, and I'm struggling with this. Because again, Epaphras was praying that they would mature in Christ and have an assurance in who he is. Be rooted in and who he is. You need people praying for you. Again, your faith is personal, but it was never designed to be a private matter. Next, number four. Rooted people care for you and welcome you in. Read these passages. I'm going to begin in chapter four, I mean verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. He mentions three people there. Luke and Nympha are the ones I want to focus on. Luke is a physician, if you may not be aware. Luke is the one that wrote the gospel of Luke, the biography of Jesus. And he wrote the book of Acts. Luke traveled with Paul on most of his missionary journeys. When he calls him the beloved physician, what Paul is probably saying is, here's this man that I've come to rely on because he tends to my physical wounds. Paul spent much of his ministry being beaten or being imprisoned or being shipwrecked. It was not comfortable for Paul. And so there is a very likelihood that Paul's writing the letter to this church and he's being reminded as Luke tends to his wounds from the shackles that he's wearing on his feet right now. So here's here's one that's on my team that's caring for me. And then he flips it to the other side and he says, Now, everybody up to this point, he said, We send greetings to you. On the other side, he says, Now, be sure that somebody that's on their side of the letter that you greet for me. And he talks about Nympha. We don't know much about her other than that she loved the Lord. And she probably was a person of some kind of means because she opened up her home to welcome in the church. Caring and serving. Hospitality. This is what rooted people do. And you need to experience that. Somebody that will care for you. Not just in an emotional way, not just in a spiritual way, but where you've got somebody that comes along and helps out with your needs and welcomes you in to their home. That's what rooted people do. And then the last one I'm going to share with you is this. And it, I'm going to say, rooted people remind you of your future, not your past. Rooted people remind you of your future, not your past. There's two guys that Paul lists, and I intentionally skipped over them to come back to them now. Paul talks about a man named Onesimus and a guy named Mark. Neither one of these guys would have an easy time getting hired in our church as a pastor because they've got a past. They wouldn't do so well on the resume. Onesimus, he was a slave. He, he was a slave. In fact, we believe he was Philemon's slave. And so if you know that Colossians followed up by another book, Philemon, and they're all in the same area. Philemon's probably in Colossae, and he's sending a message to him in this other letter that is the next book in your Bible. And what we believe probably happened with Onesimus is that Philemon became a Christian. And so as a master, as a man of means over slaves, he began to adapt how he was a master. And it's possible then, as he became kind and considerate to those servants that were in his household, that, that Onesimus took advantage of that and perhaps stole something from him and runs away taking advantage of this goodwill. And he goes to Rome, he ends up in Rome, and he encounters Paul, and Paul somehow tells him about Jesus, and Onesimus becomes to become a believer. And so now Paul is actually sending him back to the same guy that he just stole from. 
with a letter. But it says you welcome him back, not based on his past, but based on his future as a servant of Jesus. Now look what he says in this next one. I'm going to read it again. This is verse 10. After he talks about Aristarchus, he mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Some of you may be aware that Mark is John Mark. And John Mark was a young, eager Jewish believer in Jesus. And he joins Paul and Barnabas on a very early missionary journey. And he goes through the towns. And what happens is, at first, they stick to just Jewish territory. And Mark seems to be fine with it. And then they go into Gentile or non-Jewish territory. And you read in the book of Acts that Mark bails out at that point. He can't handle it. There is very good reason that Mark still had some residual racism in his heart and could not handle the idea that we were going to take this message to those that were no longer Jews, that were not just inside the Jewish faith. And so Paul and John Mark have a very difficult parting of the ways. But John Mark... God kept working on John Mark. And he fell more and more and more in love with the message and the mission of Jesus. And he fell in love with the person of Jesus. And so at some point along the way, Paul comes back to Mark. And he affirms him and he blesses him. And then Paul begins to change all of his language about Mark. And so what you have here is, he's telling this church... You've probably heard about Mark. You probably heard about how he abandoned the gospel at one point. But our God is the God of second chances. And I want to tell you, when he comes to you, you welcome him as the name of a brother because rooted people will focus not on your past, but your future. Paul had no way of knowing at this moment that Mark, the one who could not handle his first mission trip, the one that was probably had some racism left in his heart that Jesus needed to clean up and heal, would go on to write one of the biographies of Jesus, the gospel that bears his name, Mark. Because he's not going to be dictated by his past, but by his potential in Jesus and what Jesus can do. Rooted people need rooted people. So here, what I, I want to end with this. Two questions for you, and then we'll close out and I'll pray over us. Question number one is this. Who is keeping you rooted? Who keeps you rooted? If you were to write chapter 4 of this letter and close out this letter, who's on your team? Who do you mention? Why do you mention? Who's praying for you? Who welcomes you in? Who encourages you? Who cares for you? And who reminds you that you've got a future and calls you to that future and calls you to that potential, not the past? Who is that? If you've got a journal or you've got your Bible, I, I want to encourage you to write down some names. 
Names that are important to you. That keep you rooted. Now, begin because rooted people need rooted people. This is a two-way street. Not only do you receive these kind of blessings as you become rooted, but you give these kind of blessings. So my next question is, who are you keeping rooted? Who are you working on? Who's, who's in your sphere of influence that God's using in many ways? I, I can go through a list of guys, men and women, that have blessed me throughout my growing up days, my college days, my ministry days, that have kept me rooted. And what I pray that I'm doing is keeping somebody else rooted and encouraging them and caring for them and praying for them. So who's on your list? And maybe you've never thought about this. And that's okay. But that needs to change. Because now you've heard this message. And I want to challenge you to be thinking. Who, who do you have a relationship with? You say, you know what? Maybe God wants me to invest some more there. Who, who can you be a big brother or a big sister to, a father or a mother to, that you're not tied to biology, but you're tied through Jesus together? And who can you bless that way? Rooted people need rooted people. I pray that you're rooted. Let's pray. Father, would you... For a moment here, as we recall all of those that have blessed us, all of those that have kept us rooted, would you hear us as we give thanks for them? Father, I ask that you would place on our hearts right now, on our minds, three, four, five people that you're calling us to keep them rooted. Father, it is so humbling to know that Paul needed a team. Who can we be a Paul to now? Father, I ask all this in the name of the one who died alone on the cross so that we would not go at it alone. His name we pray. Amen.